to be anybody's three-year-old child. Mm. He could have been anybody's. It just happened to be us. It and happened him. to be us. And him. And how do you think the community should feel about who's in charge? They should be questioning. They should 100% be questioning the leadership, the tone of leadership for that organisation. Mm. I hope they're outraged. I hope they're outraged and I hope that there's enough pressure put onto police to mm. not send it across to cold case to sit in a box and gather dust and think about it every so often because it's outrageous that this has happened. It's outrageous that it's taken this amount of time. It's outrageous that there are people who are using William as an opportunity to further their careers mm. and get rid of the people that they don't like. William's foster parents say they have been pushed to breaking point and have now broken their silence with these explosive allegations. Jane and Peter allege infighting and career politics within the New South Wales Police Force have derailed the investigation into their son's disappearance. They're outraged that Gary Jubelin has been taken off the investigation and even claim the New South Wales Police Commissioner is refusing to answer their questions. The foster parents are calling for urgent action, fearing their son may never be found and whoever took William is still out there getting away with this horrific crime. They say William deserves better and they will never give up their fight for justice. I'm Natasha Belling. And I'm Leah Harris. This is Where's William Tyrrell? Leah, why have Jane and Peter decided to speak to you about this now and they've never spoken before about the police investigation into their son's disappearance? They decided to speak out about it now because they are genuinely worried about where the case is at and they wanted me to make it clear that the only reason they are doing this and speaking out so strongly against the police is because they are worried that the case will not be solved with the current leadership in the police force. They're worried that without Gary Jubelin, they have no one prepared to advocate for William in a leadership position. And they wanted to make it clear this is not about the detectives in the strike force on the ground investigating their son's case. This is about the leadership. And I think it's important to note that they are taking a a big risk by speaking out and saying the things they are against the people who are tasked with investigating their foster son's disappearance. But they feel they've been pushed to this. They feel that they've been given no other choice and their priority has always been finding William and getting justice. This is episode seven, Leah, so let's recap what's happened so far in the William Tyrrell story. William, at the age of three, went missing from his foster grandmother's house in Kendall on the 12th of September 2014. It's almost been five years since he disappeared. The investigation has been continuing. There have been no clear suspects that we know of that have been arrested. There is still no idea about exactly what has happened to William. A key number of people have been ruled out as possible suspects and now a coronial inquest has been called into his case. So Gary Jubelin has publicly come out over the last couple of years and ruled out both sets of parents, Jane and Peter and Stacey and Daniel, the foster and birth parents, as having anything to do with it. He's looked into a number of persons of interest that we've gone into detail about in previous episodes. And last year, he announced that it would be going to a coronial inquest, which means that a state coroner will examine all the evidence that he has gathered so far 
and uh, examine any person of persons of interest, whether there is any lines of inquiry that need to be followed, whether there's anyone who could be charged over this, or if it's time for it to go to the unsolved homicide unit. So that hearing, the preliminary hearing for the coronial inquest was held in December last year. Jane and Peter went along to that hearing alongside Gary Jubilant. And in that hearing, it was set down that it would begin in March with a week-long set of hearings where they would hear evidence from uh, the family members as well as some searches. So after that December hearing, they were simply getting ready for that March inquest to begin. And then what happened? There was a bombshell announcement. So in January of this year, it was what we understand was an anonymous complaint made against Detective Chief Inspector Gary Jubilant, accusing him of misconduct. And that misconduct included allegedly recording a conversation with a person of interest in this case using his mobile phone without a warrant. It also alleged that he falsified affidavits, but those allegations of falsifying affidavits have since been dropped. Um, We understand that they were not able to be proven. The allegations also alleged at the time that there were some staff management issues within the team and that came after an incident last year where Gary and the officer in charge apparently had a very heated argument uh, and that argument centred around a disagreement over which lines of inquiry to follow and they had to seek conflict resolution after that argument. It's not known whether those staff management issues related to that particular incident. So these allegations were then referred to the Professional Standards Command to be investigated, which is the command that investigates any allegations against police officers. And while that investigation was ongoing, a decision was made in January to take Gary Jubilant off of the case. High-profile homicide detective Gary Jubilant has been sensationally removed from the William Tyrrell case amid allegations of misconduct. The revelations come just weeks away from the inquest into the toddler's suspected murder. Mr Jubilant says he has done nothing wrong. This decision to take Chief Inspector Gary Jubilant off the case came at such a critical time in the investigation, just weeks before the coronial inquest. And this is the investigator who not only instigated this inquest and has been working on the case for the past few years, but he's also the person who was putting together the brief of evidence to present to the coroner to allow her to conduct her inquest. So it certainly was a huge development in the investigation. But most importantly, this was devastating news for Jane and Peter. They learnt that the man that they had trusted for the past few years to lead this case had been taken off the case. And they were told by a man named David Laidlaw, who they had never met, and told that they were no longer allowed to even talk to Gary. So this is how they found out. I'd missed a call. He called my mobile. We are in the car. We were, what? Half an hour out of Newcastle, maybe? Oh, look, we're probably, probably halfway into the trip. Can I ask who the phone call was from? It was um, from David Dave Laidlaw. Dave Laidlaw. Yeah. So Dave, Dave called. I missed the call. So I picked up voicemail and, I, and I'm listening to this going, who are you? I'm thinking, what? <laughs> What's going on? I don't understand this. Yeah. So I call back and um, David introduced himself and explained that um, there had been a meeting And in that meeting, it was decided to take Gary off the case because some things had happened um, and that David is now leading the investigation. And so he um, couldn't tell us anything. He said that there have been some um, accusations against Gary that are currently being investigated and that um, 
police felt that it was the right thing to do was to, they didn't say he'd been suspended, but to take him off the William Tyrrell matter. Which was a complete, came to us complete surprise. Oh, just, I think, I think, I think I we were looking at each other, just complete double take going, what just happened? What, what's going on? This is just yeah. like, you know, completely left field. Yeah, it just not out of the blue, out of the blue. Um, but I feel for David. I think he's been put into a very difficult position. And, you know, I, fe- I felt for him because he could hear in our voices, you know, the, yeah, we're not happy with this sort of way of speaking. And we just, for the rest of that trip, we were just like, what does this mean? What happens? We're about to go to inquest. The person who's been doing all of the work. The driving force. The guy who we've had rave reports on, who we have had personal experience with has just been outstanding. Who told is the absolute best person to lead this investigation. If, if, if we would have our pick of investigators, this was the guy we wanted. That is Gary. And now we're being told he can't do it. Um, so where does that leave William? Where does that leave the investigation? What did this mean for the investigation? So this was devastating news for Jane and Peter and they obviously had a lot of questions about what he'd been charged with, what were the details, why had this happened and they were told they weren't allowed to know any of that detail. They couldn't tell them anything. They later found out through the media but their biggest concern at the time was whether or not Gary was going to be able to attend that March inquest with them regardless of what happened with the investigation into his alleged misconduct. And they had tried very hard to get answers from the police about this uh, and they kept, in their words, hitting roadblocks. Um, So they decided to write a letter to Police Commissioner Mick Fuller pleading with him to allow Gary to accompany them to the inquest. You wrote a letter to the Commissioner Mick Fuller. Yes. um, Before the first week of hearings in the inquest to ask that Gary be able to come with you. Yeah. Um, so I wrote this letter um, out of sheer frustration. I had left numerous telephone calls for Mr Fuller. Um, I think he was overseas um, at the time that I was calling. He was, yes. Yeah. So I had left messages and I had been faithfully promised that all my messages would be relayed to him and that um, he'd be back in touch with me. So I I must, I can't remember exactly how many messages, maybe three or four messages I'd left over a course of a couple of weeks. And um, I just thought, this is ridiculous. So I thought I'm going to send him a letter and hopefully the letter that I send will get a response. So the, the driving force behind this letter was to find out what was really going on with Gary and what was happening with the case and also we wanted Gary to be at the inquest with us. So, dear Commissioner Fuller, as you are aware, we are now only days away from the commencement of the coronial inquest into the abduction of our precious little boy, William Tyrrell. As William's parents, it is with profound sadness that we feel compelled to formalise our many requests to speak with you in the hope that you will personally address our concerns. Commissioner Fuller, our son is the victim of a heinous crime. We and William's birth family are all victims of this crime and we have endured the overwhelming heartbreak of not knowing where he is or what has happened to him. Over the incredibly painful four years, 
Detective Chief Inspector Gary Jubelin has been our rock, instilling in us complete confidence and trust that New South Wales Police would leave no stone unturned, working tirelessly in the search for William with care and compassion for our son and those of us who have been left behind. The personal relationship we have developed with Gary has been integral to our sustained confidence and trust in the efforts of New South Wales Police to find everything possible to find our boy. We have had the full support of Police, Police Commissioner Andrew Scipioni, the Honourable Troy Grant, MP Minister for Justice and Police and former Deputy Premier of New South Wales, the former New South Wales Premier, the Honourable Mike Baird, MP, and bipartisan support from Members of Parliament in both New South Wales and the Parliament of Australia. In collaboration with New South Wales Police and Crime Stoppers, to assist the investigation, we initiated the Where's William campaign to drive information to police through conducting extensive community and media engagement activities. On the second anniversary of William's abduction, the support we gained from the Commissioner, the Minister of Police and Premier Baird enabled the announcement of a $1 million reward for information that could lead police to William, a first in New South Wales. This is the level of our and others' commitment to finding out what has happened to William. We will never give up on our search for him and we will continue to lobby and influence where we can to ensure the wider community remembers our boy and of our dire need to find him and bring him home. We have taken comfort in knowing that throughout the investigation, police have always had Williams and our best interests at heart with the primary purpose of solving the mystery of his abduction. Having Gary attend the inquest will not change or impact its direction, which has already been redefined, following his removal from the strike force. For, these, for those responsible for his removal, we hope that they can put aside any personal or political agendas or media concerns to ensure that Gary will be there for us, sitting beside us to support us throughout this harrowing process. We respectfully request that you call us personally to discuss this difficult situation we now find ourselves in, with the hope that you will reverse the current position of New South Wales Police and, Palette and permit Detective Chief Inspector Gary Jubelin to be there for us. Please accept our sincere appreciation for giving our request your deepest consideration. And we've signed it. <coughs> I just, we got nothing. He did not respond to that. No response. We got nothing. We got nothing. And I just find that absolutely unbelievable that there was nothing to that. Speaks volumes about the leadership of that that organisation. It speaks volumes about the the where they see what's important. Volumes. Their most high-profile case, the parents of a little boy who's gone missing cannot, despite all your efforts, get in touch with the commissioner. How does that feel? It makes me really worried for people coming behind us because if it's too hard, they'll just ignore it mm. and they'll hide. Why do you believe Jane and Peter would have not received any form of response from the New South Wales Police Commissioner? Because I guess in their defence, there was a chief inspector now taken off the case for allegations of misconduct. 
But why didn't they even say we can't talk about this because there is an ongoing investigation? There was radio silence. Yeah, that's what really upset Jane and Peter. I can understand why the police commissioner may not want to go into detail about it and may not be able to go into detail about it with them and so perhaps he wouldn't have been able to give them the extensive response or the honest response that they really wanted. But what really upset them is that they got nothing, even even a response just to say, I can't talk to you about this, but what I can say is X, Y and Z. They got nothing. And Jane and Peter allege those roadblocks continued down the chain of command. Tell us more about that. So they say their requests to get answers and to speak to someone was pushed down the line until it landed with the head of homicide, Scott Cook, who had taken over from the previous head of homicide, Mick Willing, in 2017, and they say they still got nowhere with him. What do you feel like has changed? Because obviously you've always had complete faith in the police until this has happened. What, what has changed? We've asked, we've asked to speak to people, police commissioner being one. We asked to speak to other people. We have been ignored. I have had to write letters. I have left telephone calls. I have left messages and we have been ignored. Who exactly has ignored you? Mick Fuller. And he's passed it down the chain of his command till it lands with Scott Cook. And how has he handled it? Not very well. Unprofessional, incredibly uh, lack of empathy. Extraordinarily poorly. Um, and we would have expected a, a whole lot oh. more from someone of that sort of position in this, you know, seniority of the police force. Sorry, that's Nothing. just... Crickets in the wind. Yep. Crickets in the wind. The sound of silence has been deafening. And it's not for us. This is for William. And I think people seem to think, maybe thinking, it's us wanting the attention. I don't want the attention. We've been living our lives. We've been thrust into this by the person who took William. And the people who we expect to support and find William have been doing a great job up until Gary was taken off the case. And it's not a reflection on David Laidlaw because he's doing the best he can because he's picked up four and a half years' worth of history. Mm. This sits fair and square at police leadership. We have been given mixed messages by people within that leadership group. We get told one thing and then we get told something completely different. Jane and Peter also allege that they were lied to over this critical information about transfer of knowledge with the case. So they say that they were told by the head of homicide, Scott Cook, that Gary had been meeting regularly with David Laidlaw, the new lead investigator on the case, to do a thorough handover of all the information that had been gathered. And this was their main concern with Gary being taken off the case, was that all that information that he had gathered, all the knowledge, all the relationships, all the strategies, was going to be lost and they were going to have to start from scratch without Gary on the investigation. So naturally they were asking specific questions about, well, what about that transfer? And they say they were told that they had been meeting regularly for that to happen. They say they then found out that was not the case, that Gary and David had never met to do a handover. I have been talking from the moment we found out that Gary was not on the case. I have been asking about knowledge transfer and I have been asking and asking and asking and saying I'm really worried about knowledge transfer. 
The response I get back is, yes, um, David has regularly met with Gary Mm -hmm. and they have handed over and there's a knowledge transfer and, yes, they're a part of the process and that's Scott Cook telling me that. I then ask some more questions and I then get told that, well, we have our Eagle Cops Eagle system and that's where the knowledge transfer happens. So I'm really confused because I'm told that um, Gary and David Laidlaw meet regularly and have been meeting to do a handover. And then on the other hand, I get told very clearly that Gary is not allowed to speak with anybody about this matter. So how is so the how tra- on earth does the knowledge transfer take place? Because you can put information into a computer system, great, but what you miss out on are the nuances. You miss out on the richness of the history. You you miss out on all those little pieces that are bits of that jigsaw puzzle that they talk to us about. You are missing massive big chunks of this jigsaw puzzle. And this is is four and a half years. This is thousands of of items and thousands of pages. Seriously, it's not something you can just go, oh, here's the mm. filing box and good luck. Yeah. It not like, it's not that simple. Mm. It's not that simple. So do you feel like when you were told that Gary and Dave Laidlaw were meeting regularly, do you feel that that was true? Highly doubtful. No, I, I'll say more than highly doubtful. <laughs> I believe it was a lie. I don't believe it. Do not believe it. Mm. And how does it make you feel to know that the police are deceiving victims of of crime like that? I don't know. You Call me naive. Faith. Yeah, I have faith, faith, the faith in the, you know, and the sense the of right or wrong. And what's what's the purpose of police? They're to protect. To protect. They're there to solve crime, and they're there to lock up the bad guys. Do I think they're there to protect? I think yeah, police are there to protect, and I think the police do a really good job of that. In terms of solving crime. Mm. Up until April, I would have said 100%, yep, or actually at the beginning of the year when we when we first yeah. heard, I would have said yes. Right now I say no. And the locking up of the guys, I go, yeah, I don't know. Questionable. So I, I don't trust police. I can't. Based on what they're doing with William's case, can't. You don't expect the people who are there to hold honour, trust and integrity and all of those things high can do it. It's disgraceful and it sits with police leadership. Leah, why is that transfer of knowledge so important? It was an interesting point Peter made there earlier in regards to you just can't hand over the box and say good luck. Yeah, and this is what I mentioned before briefly that it's all the strategies, the relationships and the information and knowledge that has been gathered over the past few years by the lead investigator being Gary Jubelin. He has been heavily involved in this case, in leading the case, and it is very difficult for someone to come along and pick that up and run with whatever was going on if there isn't that comprehensive handover. Now, I can't say for sure exactly what handover was done, but Jane and Peter allege that there was no handover in person between Gary and David, suggesting that the only handover that was done was those physical documents and evidence handed to David to then, I suppose, make sense of himself. 
I asked former detective Dennis Martin, who we've spoken to for previous episodes, he worked on the Daniel Morecambe case in Queensland. I asked him what effect this could have on an ongoing investigation to have the lead detective removed at a critical point. With him gone, um, his direction would be missed, his professionalism would, would be missed, and his methodology of investigation would be missed. And it would have to be then given to somebody else. Um, and especially at this late stage, the full knowledge of the investigation, I don't believe the intimate knowledge could be passed on. You know, you can read it uh, and you can study it, but you haven't lived it. And I think it's a sad situation that somebody of his calibre is has stepped himself down mm-hmm. for unknown reasons. And that is the fear of William's foster parents now, that the loss of Gary means that everything that Gary had put in place that he was working on has now been lost or, or that the investigation will now go cold without him. Um, what do you think the police could do from here to make sure that they are still doing everything they can? Well, look, I, I think that getting getting to the stage that's going to the coronial inquiry, they, they have exhausted everything that they can possibly do. So regardless of whether Gary has gone or not, everything should have been placed uh, on file and everything should have been uh, recorded and, and investigated at the nth degree because the coronial inquiry now is sort of like the end stage. But he would have had a 2IC or probably many 2ICs. But given that he appears to be one of these fellows that is so dogmatic uh, and, and lives his case, I doubt that he could pass everything on purely for human nature. He is one of the, you know he will be one of those people that go oh goodness I forgot to say this or I've, I was thinking of this and it's like thinking back of things at a later time after it's happened. They should really bring him on as a private consultant um, and allow him the ability and the respect to see it through to the end, even as a private consultant. But just certainly his expertise should not be lost purely because he's now no longer in the job, mm. and he should be there to offer guidance and advice to the new person who's taking his position. It's March 2019. Jane and Peter have to attend the coronial inquest into William's disappearance by themselves without Gary. How are they feeling then? Look, this was obviously traumatic for them. This was the week that they were giving evidence about what happened from their perspective when William disappeared, recounting all the details of that traumatic day and weeks afterwards was obviously excruciating for them and then they've had to do that without their support person which is not what they had planned to do and it was actually during that week at the coroner's court where they had a conversation with the head of homicide scott cook while all this is going on i I didn't see any any thought or compassion about our situation and he knows how high profile this 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 case is but it's not about again it's not about the profile right it's about the fact that a little child disappeared but yeah, just the other thing he also said was William's matter is not the only case that homicide is working on. Yeah. And I looked at him and I said, William's matter is he's a three-year-old boy. He was abducted from his grandmother's house, his child in care. Nobody knows what happened to him. Nothing has been done. And, he's, and he's doing nothing about it. And in fact, on top of that, he's taking the best person on the case off the case. Yeah. 
Oh. His his response to that because we we said words to him like that at the inquest, I, 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 and his words to us were, "You're not the only families. You are not the only. There are other victims of crime. You know." Yeah, no, no, and I looked at him and I just no thought, I find that astounding that you felt you needed to say to that because what you have done is you've effectively diminished our pain, William's family's pain. And you've effectively said William doesn't matter. Yeah. You're not the only one. Hello, we know we're not the only one. But guess what? You're at the inquest of the child that you've just completely disregarded. For Jane and Peter Leah, not only have they lost their son almost five years ago, they still to this day don't know what happened to William. There are no major breakthroughs in the case. No suspects have been arrested. They allege that the investigation has been completely derailed and Gary has been taken off the case. How is that for them? That must be almost a double tragedy. Well, this is the reason why they've decided to speak about this on the podcast. You can imagine that as a victim of crime, the only hope you have of finding out what happened and getting justice is to trust the police to do their jobs and to do everything they can to find out who has done this. And for them to now feel that they can't trust them to do that, they just feel helpless. They feel pushed to do this as a last resort to try and ensure that William's case is not lost. Another thing I think is important to note from the conversation that they've just described, not only that they allege that he had no empathy and compassion for them, but also the fact that Scott Cook allegedly told them that Gary Jubelin would likely be sacked from the New South Wales Police Force. And this is significant because this is when the investigation into his alleged misconduct is ongoing, no charges have been laid, and he is still an employee of the New South Wales Police Force. So to then allegedly tell the victims in the crime that the detective is most likely guilty of what he's been accused of and will be sacked is a significant allegation. These are very damning allegations from Jane and Peter. Has there been any response from New South Wales Police Force and in particular Scott Cook? We put all these allegations to the New South Wales Police Force, including the ones against Scott Cook, and they have decided not to respond. They said that it is an ongoing inquest and they can't speak about the allegations while the inquest is ongoing. Just weeks after the inquest, as an internal investigation into Gary's alleged misconduct is continuing within the New South Wales Police Force, he suddenly resigns. Gary handed in his resignation in April, retiring early from the police force after almost 30 years. Um, And as we'd previously mentioned, he'd been instrumental in a lot of previous cases and those victims' families came out publicly to support him around this time. Why didn't he fight the charges? Why did he decide to resign? I can't speak for Gary as to why he decided to resign. I can only assume that it became clear he was not going to be put back on the William Tyrrell case and that he felt there was no more he could do within the police force. And how did Jane and Peter feel about Gary resigning? This was devastating news for them. As I mentioned, they were still hoping that somehow Gary would resume his place at the helm of the investigation after the allegations were dealt with. Unfortunately, this meant that that was not going to happen. He was no longer going to be a police officer and it was a really traumatic time for them. How does it make you feel now knowing that 
the man that you had trusted for all this time is now no longer going to be involved in your son's case, not even going to be a police officer anymore. How do you feel? Extraordinarily worried and concerned. I'm angry. And I'm really angry because police are playing with William. Yep. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what impact it has to us. It matters to William. Yep. William's investigation right now is not going. They're getting ready for coroner's the court. They're not investigating William. They're not investigating. They're getting information ready just to present to the coroner because it's going to go to cold case. And nobody, nobody within that department, within that police organisation is fighting for William. The only people who are fighting for William is us and Gary. Yep. That's it. And I am incredibly angry and I want them to know and I want the public to know we are never, ever giving up on finding out what happened to William and the people who can do that are police and they're doing nothing. Nothing about it. Nothing. It's disgusting. Leah, why do Jane and Peter believe Gary was forced to resign? As we said at the start of this episode, they believe that internal politics and infighting within the police force has played a huge part in what has happened and has derailed their foster son's investigation. Do you feel like William's been used as a political figure? Absolutely. And we have seen it play out and play out. And it's playing out right now. Right now, as we speak, it's playing out in police because William's matter gave Gary profile. Our Where's William campaign gave Gary profile. Police, go, reporters, journalists, people go to Gary as the expert. They don't go to the head of homicide as the expert. So guess what? Head of homicide, once got a political agenda, wants mm-hmm. to drive his career, impacted. You're yeah. not seen as the expert. So guess who gets the boot? The guy who's seen as the expert. It's disgusting. And who loses? Again, William. William. Because the person who was going to find out what happened to William is gone. And the police have now lost one of their most dedicated professional yep. employees in Detective Inspector Gary Jubilant. After Gary resigns, Leah, then he's charged with a number of serious criminal offences. Yeah, so he was charged with four offences relating to those alleged breaches of the Surveillance Devices Act, which is the illegal recording of the conversation. The charges allege that he recorded the conversation with this person involved in the case using his mobile phone without a warrant. The charges that he was issued carry a maximum penalty of five years in jail. And when he was charged with that, he was then issued what's called a future court attendance notice and given a court date of July 30, which is coming up a few days after this episode is released. He has always denied any wrongdoing. He alleges that he had a lawful reason to be recording those conversations and he will fight these charges in court. He has hired a high-profile barrister, Margaret Cunneen, who is a former Crown prosecutor, and she will represent him when he faces court on July 30, which is just five days before the inquest is set to start again. But Jane and Peter are still adamant that they want Gary to attend this coronial inquest that's set to start in a couple of weeks. Why? 
they believe that he should be able to testify about what he knows at the inquest. We've spoken before about the questions being raised about how an inquest can go ahead without the lead investigator. Obviously, he's no longer a police officer. He is facing criminal charges, but they believe that he should be called as a witness to testify to everything he knows about this case. It's not known yet whether or not the coroner will allow this, whether she will see it as necessary to call him as a witness. But as I said, they fear that it won't be effective without him. I've got huge doubt in where we're heading. But I think what we need to do, I think, you know, for some further clarification and understanding, and I think it would be good to have Gary yeah, involved in the, the second tranche of the inquest for sure, absolutely. He was he led that investigation for four and a half years. I would expect at a minimum that the coroner would want to ask questions of the lead investigator. That, that should be a given. That should just be a matter of straightforward process. Yep. Um, well, it's, a, it's an outcome that could completely impact the, whether we find William or not, right? But that's the objective. The object, that's the objective is to find him. So I think that what's happened uh, as... as um, as this has occurred, I think that has a massive impact on that. Um, yeah, I think they've dropped the ball. Leah, for Jane and Peter, their worst nightmare is that William's investigation now becomes a cold case. That's the reason they've decided to speak out about this because it is a potential option that after the inquest the case will be referred to what's called the Unsolved Homicide Squad, which essentially takes it from an active homicide investigation to being a cold case with no more active leads. So what are the chances of that happening? It is an option for the coroner to recommend at the end of this inquest that it go to unsolved homicide. The other options are that she directs homicide to follow active leads if she thinks that there is more that that they can do. She can also recommend that a particular person be charged if there is enough evidence against a particular person to do that. But if none of those options are available, she will recommend that it go to the Unsolved Homicide Squad, which effectively means that it goes from being an active homicide investigation to a cold case, which will be reviewed every six or 12 months. And Jane and Peter are prepared that it will become a cold case and very possibly that William's disappearance will never be solved. They say that they have been told that there's a strong possibility it will go to unsolved homicide after this inquest, and that, as we've said, is their worst nightmare, and that's what they're trying to avoid here. We cannot let this happen, because this is what's going to happen. It will go to inquest, and the coroner will say, police, you've done a great job, thank you very much, and deliver an open finding. Police will go, great, yeah, we did a really good job. Let's push that over onto Unsolved. And it's going to sit there. And people are going to forget about it. And every so often, they're going to pull it back out again. Scott Cook has told me that in six months, if it goes across to um, Unsolved, of which he believes it will, um, in six months' time, they'll probably pull it out again and someone will have a look at it. Go, "Mm, Yeah, well, you know, nothing new's come through. We'll put it back over there in that box. So who forget? People forget William. Police will forget William. The public conscience will forget William because what will happen is something might go into the paper and we go, oh, hang on, that was that little boy. That little boy went, how long ago? People will forget. We can't let people forget William. We can't. It's a three-year-old boy that was abducted. How can we 
public, please say that's okay and let it go. Sometimes we can get caught up in all of the alleged infighting and politics involved in William's investigation, Leah, but almost five years on, William is still missing. And whoever did this, whoever is responsible, has never been caught and is still out there. That's right, and their biggest fear is it going to cold case. And that's not just because they need answers about what has happened to William and they need to find him, but it's also because the person who has done this is still out there, walking amongst us in the community, whoever that might be. And the thought of that is terrifying for them and should be terrifying for everyone else. And they've got away with it. For five years now, they've got away with it. Because then there's someone out there who's effectively gotten away with this abduction and and his disappearance. So, okay, yeah, no, we'll just let him go. I mean, what's that say? And that's not just for us, that's for anybody, right? But what does that say? What's that messaging? Oh, you know, that person out there's going, I got away with it. You know, because maybe the police didn't, you know, they dropped the ball. The other question, the thing that runs through my mind is that does that mean that this person's done it before? Does it mean that this person is likely to do it again? It's all possible. Why, why, wouldn't, why isn't that enough to drive people to find the person who did it? Because you've got away with it. Why wouldn't you do it again? At the end of the day, Leah, Jane and Peter wanted to break their silence because they wanted to give William a voice. He doesn't have a voice right now. And all they want is some element of justice for their missing son and also some form of closure, if that's ever possible. They've told me that their only motivation throughout this entire process, the entire investigation and the reason why they want to speak now is purely to fight for William, to give him a voice and to try to get closure for them and justice for William. And they need closure not just for them, but also for William's birth family and, most importantly, for his siblings. Um, And it makes me incredibly sad because William has people who love him who need to know. Um, And... And for the people that, you know, for the people behind us, I I don't want people to be in the position that we're in. How do you feel when you think of the prospect of never knowing what happened to William? Oh, that's... I don't want to die not knowing. I don't want William's siblings to pick this up. I don't want them to have the burden of finding out what happened to their brother. It's not fair. It's not fair. They shouldn't have to. This needs to be this needs to be solved. And it needs to be solved in our lifetime. Will you ever give up fighting for him? Never. Never. Till the, till my last breath. Absolutely. Absolutely. If police think they've seen the last of us, Big mistake. Mm. You won't be going quietly. We will not give up on William and we will not let other people give up on him. He's too important to give up on. Never going to happen, ever.
There are still so many unanswered questions with William's disappearance and we're set to learn more as the coronial inquest resumes in a few weeks. The inquest will resume in August for a full month where we will hear from all the persons of interest who have been compelled to testify. We'll hear all the evidence that police have gathered against any potential persons of interest. The other thing that is coming up is Gary's first court appearance on the 30th of July, which is just a few days after we release this episode. And we'll bring you those developments in more episodes of Where's William Tyrrell coming soon. Where's William Tyrrell is produced and presented by Leah Harris in conversation with Natasha Belling. Produced and edited by Stuart Buckland. The recording and audio work by the 10 team of Mitch Willard, Bevan Tantu and Josh Pollock. Thanks again to Dennis Martin for contributing and thanks to everyone in the 10 News team for their support. You can contact the show at whereswilliam at network10.com.au. If you have any information that may assist this case at all, please contact police or Crime Stoppers on 1800 000. If you would like to find out more about the Where's William campaign, please visit www.whereswilliam.org. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks.